everybody welcome to the essential pedagogy podcast this is steph the educator and i have a treat for you let's just kind of go back and revisit like i started this podcast because really i'm a believer and it's um a ministry for me uh, i really developed a compassion for parents who were struggling during the pandemic and um started tutoring full-time for uh, parents who were struggling at home with their children, struggling with meetings, um, educational meetings called art meetings and things like that. So um, I really got an eye opener about what parents go through and that um, and a just a shot of invigoration for my profession because of um, I am a professional. Uh, I lose sight of that sometimes because of the way uh, educators are treated or looked upon. Um, a lot of lip service is given to educators that they're really respected and and everything, but actions show differently. And I'm going to talk more about that. Um, the title of our uh, podcast today is The Law, The Lawsuit, The Lawless, and The Lazy. Um, I think what I think about some of the recent things, last podcast was a little bit about a snippet about, um, the laws that were passed September 1st in the state of Texas. And, and some of them were, um, concerning education and funding and things like that. Um, with funding comes accountability, as we all know is, uh, you cannot be, uh, blessed with funds if you do not have accountability. Um, but in the education realm, we've been um, accountability is pushed on us and we don't always have the funds to back it up. So I'm going to get more into that. Um, we are going to be in a dilemma where we're voting for some things. And I don't know if they're going to put um, on the docket for voting of uh, vouchers for private schools, but it seems very, very um, interesting how some things are lining up right now. Um, vouchers, if you don't know, are um, what pays for charter school or any kind of public school entity, which are usually charter school, um, that are not part of a big conglomerate as an ISD, an independent school district in the state of Texas, that's what they're called. So um, those are, the independent school districts are the traditionally um, school districts that are public. Um, we service every, I call it the Ruta to the Tuta, we service everybody. And by law, we are required to have uh, standards and services for our students to serve the public. Um, we um, have to have psychologists, nurses, diagnosticians, um, 
dyslexic specialists. We, by law, have to have these kinds of people um, available to service our students, the special ed uh, uh, staff, all these uh, entities, by law, we have to um, be accountable for, okay? And I'm going to say accountability a lot today. So the law, with uh, the law, it gives us funding, um, and not only do we have funding, but we also have earmarks, and a lot of industries have earmarks for fundings. Uh, it, when you serve the public, you really have earmarks, okay? Um, we want to make sure that there are safeguards in place so that money is appropriated where it's supposed to be, and that is quite all right. However, it kind of limits us sometimes um, to where uh, it looks like we're spending money in an inappropriate place, and that's just how the funding rolls. If we cannot spend them, we can't uh, reappropriate monies to another area of the greatest need, then we sometimes will have a surplus in um, security funding and not enough in book funding. And do you see where that could be a contradiction in education? So anyhow, uh, there have been lawsuits, speaking of the law, now we're down to lawsuits. There are lawsuits now that DISD has joined in uh, along with Frisco, Plano, oh, not Colleyville because uh, I think uh, Southlake is in some litigations of their own. They have problems already on their own, and I'll talk to you a little bit about that, but not much. Um, I forget what other... Uh, Mm, I know Red Oak is in it. Um, there's another Crawley. Crawley is in the lawsuit as well. Um, and this lawsuit is um, towards uh, a, a public service person and that helps create the accountability, works with TEA, works at TEA, Texas Education Agency where um, they came up with new accountability standards for um, grading school districts to see whether they're a, a district or a campus or a B district or B campus or C or F or what have you. So um, when people are looking for nice neighborhoods to move into and you see that little uh, accountability rating at the bottom of your Zillow of whether it's an A school or B school or C school, there are lots of things that come into um, accountability for a school. Uh, attendance is one which I'm going to talk about that. Um, there's certain certain categories um, where um, accountability is uh, pushed so that there is, um, I wouldn't say equilibrium, but um, uh, to level out the playing ground and to um, create equity. That's what I'm, I'm looking for, the word equity among populations of people who are traditionally underserved, okay? So um, our whole idea of creating accountability is that no one is left behind. And I, I, a lot of people uh, know about No Child Left Behind. 
um, things like that. People slipping through the cracks. Um, yeah, unconscious biases, things like that. So a lot of things go into accountability um, and ratings for a district and a school. So um, there are lawsuits that are coming down from Dallas ISD, Frisco ISD, Plano, Crawley, um, and Red Oak, where they are saying that it was uh, the date of the release of accountability was released too late or notified to the school districts and not in a timely manner. And it goes against some kind of statute of um, where it's the law that you have to be giving a, a good amount of time to prepare for um, the um, new accountabilities, right? The new standards, because uh, now in the new standards, what's happening is why uh, some of these school districts are in an uproar is because um, instead of looking at a district as a whole, they are looking at, well, how many kids does this campus have? And this is how much of a percentage that it is of this district. And so that is the percentage of responsibility of accountability that school will have. It didn't used to work that way. It used to be like a big average um, for a school district. So when it comes to uh, accountability rating for a district, it used to be, oh, let's just take everybody as an average. Instead, now it's like, okay, your schools are the greatest numbers. Now, where that becomes um, um, difficult is because your bigger schools are going to be your high schools and they are uh, they have many more um uh, whatever categories uh reporting categories that will go against them to to keep them from getting a higher standard so you may see on zillow uh where um the schools that your house or that you're looking at, uh, their schools always, hardly ever do I see a high school's rating be higher than elementary school's rating. And that's because they have more um, categories to report to as far as being a successful school. Um, they have, um, you know, career readiness, military, career military readiness and standards where students have to leave high school either certified or college ready or career ready and so those are some of the things that if a child is not deemed ready to um to um acquire some kind of career or going into college then that is something that is accounted for at the high school and um can be a dean against a high school so Hardly ever will you see high schools with an accountability rating higher. It used to be numbers. Now they're letters uh, higher than a um, elementary. So this is why. OK. Um, these lawsuits are is very interesting and I'm going to keep tracking and keep watching over them. When I saw a lot of the debates over the new laws that were coming down, one um, vote was about not giving teachers um, 
yeah, it's a point system. But I mean, there's so many things that come into play with it as far as um, uh, your subs. I, I like, okay, so if I'm doing teacher talk, I'm sorry. I, it's really going, I say sub pop, um, your populations that are subcategoried um, by, you know, whether it's two or more races. Um, uh, Native American, special ed. So one child can affect you in different population categories. Um, so they could be a special ed student, uh, Native American, and, um, uh, you know, uh, at risk, right? Um, and there's so many things that come into uh, being considered at risk. I remember when um, me and my ex-husband got a divorce and I moved into an apartment and I got an eye uh, full of what uh, at risk was. And if you live in an apartment, um, that is a category that <laughs> will put your child in kind of an at risk category um, for school districts. It's very interesting. Um, and I was like, my kids ain't at risk. Shoot, they, they go to school every day. They get a uh, <laughs> hot breakfast. I get them to school on time, which will bring me to the lazies. But anyhow, um, so that's what those lawsuits are about. I'm not certain how it's going to pan out. I do believe that school districts are afraid that funding is going to be even split smaller when it comes to funding other entities other than independent school districts. Now, funding goes to charter schools from um, uh, the government. Uh, and those are kind of like choice schools. And people say those are freedom schools. We have the freedom to choose what school our kids go to. A lot of people don't know when it comes to start charter schools, uh, those charter schools, since they are smaller, they do get less funding than the ISDs because, of course, they're bigger. Um, they have much more responsibility. And the bigger your responsibility, the, um, the more money you expect to have and be able to manage and um the more responsibility you have and and the things that you, you have to do so with charter schools they are smaller they do not have to have the same standards of independent school districts so a lot of times you'll find that in their desperation especially now post pandemic they ha do not have certified teachers teaching students. And if you don't know what that means is that you do not have a professional teacher who have taken a test for their professional responsibilities as a educator and um, in the content area that they teach. They did not have to take a content test to get their job or to keep it at the charter schools. You do have some, some teachers at charter schools who are um, certified, but not all. Now, in this pandemic climate, you're gonna find more uh, non-certified teachers in the classroom everywhere. But in the charter schools, the percentage is much greater 
than um, at the ISDs. And then the ISDs always give you a window. You cannot stay employed at a independent school district forever and ever, amen, uh, without being certified. They expect for you to get certification, whether that be 12 months, you know, the nine months or 12 months that you're going to be employed there, 18 months, uh, two years, three years, whatever that is, the school districts have their standards of when they're going to have you be compliant to being a professional certified teacher. Now, with charter schools, that is not necessarily the case. They do not have to have the, the training, the pedagogical training. It's the, you know, um, the essential pedagogy, uh, the science of teaching and um, addressing all modalities of learning. Uh, these people are not necessarily uh, uh, educated or um I hate to use the word train when it comes to teachers because it's like training a dog. Hit it on the nose. You better do it right. But um, professional development, they don't have the professional development uh, it takes in order to um, execute on lessons in education as a whole. Um, and I have... I've worked at a charter school before, so I've seen all the shenanigans. That's all I got to say about that. I work at an ISD now, um, and I'll tell, I can tell you guys some stories about why I chose to work at a charter school because I was mad at ISDs. But look, I'm telling you, uh, public schools, ISDs are going to be the best bet without vetting, without doing deep vetting of a school, your best bet in educating your child. Your local schools are your best bet for educating your child effectively. Yes, my kids did attend public school. They did. They attended public school. Um, I started my youngest son in a private school. And he, ooh, this is another topic. So my son, my oldest son is in a doctoral program in Oklahoma, and I'm so proud of him. He is about to be 25 uh, in October, and we're going to celebrate his birthday. Um, I, he, we had some difficulties in the private school. Um, my husband, my ex-husband and I, we uh, lived in um, a, a suburb of Dallas that um, has become very, you know, pretty affluent. And so um, we were paying tuition and there was not equity in the classroom. We'll just say that. So we pulled him out and we put him in a local um, public school that our um, house address was geared towards. And so um, he started at that school at third grade and um, he went to the local middle school that fed into that in the high school. Um, and so uh, he, he did very well. He went to a, um, a academic uh, undergrad school and um, he's doing well. And so my youngest son, too, my youngest son went to the same schools and he's at Collin College right now as a sophomore. Anyhow, 
Half of it has to do with public schools and um, and, and the schooling that you choose to be in and the area you try choose to be in. But the other half, I mean, your child could be very successful at a D school, a C school, a C school. And a lot of our A, B schools with the new accountability are going to be C schools because of just the structure of how the accountability is done. And this is why we have the lawsuits, because school districts are scared. Their accountabilities are going to be lower. They caught a peak of what the they would um, how they would match up with the scores of last year. And they're very um, disheartened about it. Yes, we have a lot of work to do. Um, a lot of work to do. And that leads me to the le- the lawless. <laughs> um, and I, I call, look, I'm just doing the catchy, catchy title here. But the lawless are the kids. <laughs> they ain't got nobody's accountability. <laughs> uh, they just go to school and have a good time. And some of that I understand and I want them to have a good time and not have a lot of pressure and stress, right? We don't want our children to be stressed to death. But what we have done because of the pandemic and because of people and their uh, emotions, um, we have, I don't know if anybody And please share with me if anybody out there in the state of Texas has experienced their child being held back in the last three years because of the pandemic. I don't think that has happened. And please speak more about how folks increase accountability at school is PTA meetings or something else. Oh, no, 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 no. We'll talk about that, Nick. Oh, anyhow, um, but uh, the lawless are the children. The children are, um, I say they're lawless because what I'm seeing in the middle school is that we're trying to have playtime. <laughs> and I've always been an a, um, a academic growth teacher. Now, I, I can tell you I've mellowed out a whole lot since I started teaching. But I still am more concerned about the development of a child's academic and emotional needs um, in the classroom. Um, So I'm finding that the students are having a very lackadaisical, um, I come to school to play kind of attitude. And I teach middle school. I teach middle school, middle school science, seventh grade science. Um, and I have a lot of students who are struggling, struggle readers. They are struggling to read on grade level. So then when we give our national, um, uh, our nationally, um, uh, graded, type test called MAPS test. It's on a national standards. And they do this all over the country where they uh, have digital tests that none of the school districts have really a part in um, making, but they're made off of national standards. And so we can see um, um, what our children's scores are, uh, like a RIT score, 
compared to um, other people, uh, other seventh graders in the nation or other sixth graders in the nation. And um, so we chart kids' growth in between star tests on those kinds of tests. So anyway, um, I have lots of children who are struggling to just read some of these things on the test that do not have documented um, services such as special ed services, um, 504 services that are legally bound. So um, I'm finding that I have a lot of strugglers, a lot of um, low, low, low readers. Um, and I usually do my seating chart on abilities on reading. And I'm finding that um, Children are in denial about their own skill sets. Parents are in denial about their skill sets. And, um, and when children aren't achieving the desired, um, <laughs> desired scores that parents and lawmakers and everybody in society want them to make, then it is the educator's fault. When in actuality, we have a lot of lawless and lazy people. So the lawless are the children. They have no accountability because they've been pushed up from, I guess, what, fourth, fifth grade. And now I have seventh graders. So they've been just pushed up, pushed up, pushed up because, oh, the pandemic has been hard on everybody. Emotions, emotion, emotions. Now we have new um types of standards that's come down the pipe, you know, um, and not really the standards really hasn't changed as much as how the standards are accounted for, like the percentage, like um, a school district is rated on how many students is at a particular school is what the percentage of of their piece of the percentage goes towards the district. So your larger schools, which are your struggler, more struggling schools, which is high school, goes is has a bigger slice of the pie when it comes to accountability because people are tired of children not being college or career ready. I get it. I understand. But then we have the lawless. And then we have the lazies. And when I say lazies, I'm trying to be very respectful. I've been a um, single co-parent. I like to say single co-parent because I was a, when you say single parent, people feel like you are um, uh, you do not have another parent that is putting in effort to make sure your children are um, successful. Well, I had an ex-husband. He was not head of my household, but he was a co-parent to my, my children. So I just want to put it out there that I understand how hard it is being the head of your household if you're single, even if you have two parents. Like I had some clients and they were a two-parent household and they struggled with two children. It's just hard. Raising children are hard. Doing it in a manner that will help them be more successful because I don't like to say right or wrong. 
Um, everybody has, there's a spectrum of how you can raise children. But I also feel like if you can't get your child to school on time, that we got to figure it out and stop being lazy and putting it on somebody else. But not being successful. I understand that I may be a little bit more disciplined than the average person because I made it my business to get up at 5 a.m., 4.45 a.m. in order to cook a hot breakfast for my children, then get my son to football, my high school son to football practice by 6.30, and then my middle school son that I drove them, drove them. They did not take a bus. I drove them because I couldn't afford to stay, continue to stay in their uh, particular school district that they were in. So I got a job in their school district so they wouldn't get kicked out for not being in their school zone. And I got up and I drove both children to school and got myself to work on time every day. So what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, I am, uh, I am having conversations with parents who say they do not want their children to be labeled, do not want the the biases to come against their children but then they can't get their children to school at 8, 10 in the morning every day. They're at school at 8.30. And for the longest time, I was very perplexed. I'm talking about a particular student about, and I have, and then this is a, this is a trend though. It's not just one, this is a trend uh, where it's 15 minutes into the class. Now I have 45 minute classes, 15 minutes into the class before he gets his pencil in his hand, he ready to work and all this. When the bell rings, I have students engaged in learning when they first come in. I have something ready for them to do. It takes this little boy 15 to 20 minutes to, do, to get ready to learn. He got his things all over the place. He... Can't get his pencil. Don't know where his pencil is. Don't. Oh, he lost a shoe. It's in the hallway. It's, it's something every day. And all I can say is, I don't know what the chaos at home is, but it got to be from home because we have the structure here at school. Things start at a certain time. You go to lunch at a certain time. You got to be here. You got to be there. It's a structure. So this disorganized manner got to be from home not clean ears dirty uh dirty fingernails sometimes smelly sometimes don't have his uh his uh teeth brushed and i'm finding that across the board we have parents that can't take their kids to athletics when i have a conversation hey i think athletics might well i don't know if he wants to do it look 
when my children expressed interest in something and they went so far as to sign up and audition or try out for something, they were not allowed to give up on that thing just because. They just weren't. Because I wasn't allowed to give up on parenthood. I just wasn't going to do that. And that's the answer I got. I gave to my children when they wanted to give up something prematurely. My children, you know, my youngest son was like, I want to give up being, I want to quit. And I was like, you know what? Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not feeling man anymore. After I paid for the instrument, I said, I don't feel like getting up in the morning and cooking you breakfast, but I do it every day. Sometimes we have to do something we don't feel like doing. And as a parent, and that you brought these children into this world, you lazies need to get up. You lazies need to look in their backpack. You lazies need to ask them, oh, not just how was school today, but let me see your notebook today. I know Ms. Powell gives you a notebook and you guys be working. And I want to see what the heck you've done in it. Stop doing that. Stop being lazy and not knowing what, how school is managed, how school is structured. You're going to have to understand that, the ins and out of schools. You're going to have to understand that when we're at work, we don't just sit around waiting for you to make an, uh, to come in and demand to speak to us. We are busy every minute of the day and you need to make an appointment just like you do at a doctor's office, at a dentist's office. Even at the Apple store, they want you to have an appointment. Why would you think? Why would you think that we're not busy to the point where you could just walk in and demand whatever you want to demand? Not that we don't think what you are desiring or want to talk about is important because going to the doctor is important. Going to the dentist is important. However, you have to make time for it. You sometimes have to take off work for it. So please value your children's education to educate yourself about the structure of education, to figure out what you can do to support educators and that even means by voting. You need to show that you value educators by putting your money where your mouth is, by putting your vote where, where your heart is. If you have a heart for teacher, you need to um, show it and not just say it. Because I feel like it's very empty when we have these struggles and I anticipate the struggles are going to get worse if our financial pie is split even more to include private sector schools to get funding publicly. If that happens, then we're going to be even stressed, uh, even stretched thinner when it comes to funding, when it comes to paying for professionals, teachers, counselors, nurses, people like that to serve in our, um, our public schools. Public schools is overwhelmingly responsible for 
professions that you see every day, and that includes doctors, that includes attorneys, that includes judges, congressmen, presidents. Y'all, they didn't all go to private school. Public school matters. And that's just what I wanted to let you guys know that please, please make a bigger effort in, in your child's education. If we have accountability, then I feel like parents need to have accountability too. I feel like children need to have accountability too. And I feel like that is not happening. In fact, not just feel, I know it is not happening. The heat is only coming down on educators and it's not uh, a sustainable system for it to be that way. It's not. Um, and it will be something that uh, the system will break due to pressure. And I don't want to see it that way because I value education because I came from public education. My children went through public education. I, I feel like the majority of people who are going to be useful in our society are going to come from public education. So, guys, I know um, that it was kind of a rant today, but I really hope you uh, took something away from this that is going to inspire you if you're not a parent, but to really do some studying about voting when it comes to um, maybe increasing um, teacher retirement pay. Um, do you know how many teachers work 35, 40 years? They're not doing it just because they love children, because you can volunteer with children in your church. You can volunteer with children at school. You don't have to stay in there and have a full load of teaching for 40 years. Um, but people do it because they don't have enough money to survive after your standard time in teaching. Um, so guys, I would love for you guys to consider, and I think it's coming up in, is it November? Where we're gonna be voting for increase in teacher retirement. They haven't had one. I believe in about 15 or 20 years. And I believe that uh, we need to honor our educators because literally there are some who work until they die. They do not get to reap the benefits of um, retirement, of resting. Um, I want to just uh, put that on your heart and I hope that um, you become a little bit more educated so that you can uh, show. And those people who are watching this, I know you have a heart for people and you have a heart for education. So I just want you to, um, the next time you hear somebody complaining about school and things like that, that you just remind them that it is a very, very stressed system and it's a very, very hard job. And if it wasn't hard, then everybody still be at home doing virtual learning. But that's not happening. And chat GPT will not be teaching your children anytime soon. Just letting you know. No amount of um, uh, AI is going to replace a good educator. 
because a good educator actually looks at a person's face and finds out whether they're having a good day, finds out whether they should um, approach a topic or not, or can make you smile and really give um, content a chance to penetrate your heart. So I just wanted to um, just share that with you guys and I appreciate you guys watching. And um, I will have my YouTube channel up soon. I'm still doing uh, the preparation work for it. But once it's up, I'm going to have lots of shows on it. I'm going to have at least 20 shows on it. And I'm going to um, be interactive with you guys um, even after the show. So I'm excited about that. And it's coming soon. So I just wanted to thank you guys for watching and paying attention. And until the next time. Um, have compassion for yourself so that you can have compassion for others. Bye.